You may have a seat. My name is Pastor Brett Flora, and I serve, well, as one of the pastors. I want to go ahead and dismiss Hubtown Kids. They always beat you before you even start to dismiss them. Hubtown Kids, ages three all the way up to fifth grade. Blue Station, you're going to be exiting to my right, ages three to five. And Gray Station, you're going to be exiting to my, my left, ages six to fifth grade. Both of our classes in Hubtown Kids this morning are going to be considering a truth that is never going to be fully understood and that will continually cause us to seek for understanding. And it is the fact that God is triune, that God is triune, that, that there are three persons in the one eternal Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As our kids dismiss, I just want you to pray for them, even right now, quickly, silently. Just pray that God's word would be, would be open and that the volunteers that are back there would be uh, just emboldened to, to proclaim the truth of his word. Uh, working in Uptown Kids is, uh, is, is kingdom work, but it's kingdom work that's often not seen on a regular basis as we gather here on Sundays. So if you see some of our, of our volunteers, just encourage them. Encourage them and, and, and tell them thank you for, for working with our kiddos week in and, and week out. We're going to do kingdom work here this morning as we consider God's word. I want to begin by, by just asking you a question. And that question is, what would you do if you were given an impossible task? What would you do if you were given an impossible task? A task that you that you knew that not only would it be hard to even start to achieve the task, that it would pretty much prove to be impossible, maybe a task that you felt ill-equipped to take on. Interestingly, I think that impossible tasks are the focus of many of the great tales of our time. We think of the task of the Fellowship of the Ring, to take the ring of Sauron into the land of shadow and throw it into the fires of Mount Doom an unfinished and impossible task. We think of the task of, of the Rebel Alliance to defeat the evil galactic empire, really just relying on an exhaust meter only two meters wide. We think of the task of, of three school friends to not only hunt down Horcruxes, but destroy them and destroy the, the evil lord of Voldemort forever. You know, I think in the stories that, that resonate with us the most, I think they resonate because our favorite characters are faced with impossible odds, and yet they still go forward. They still attempt to complete the task that's been appointed to them, even with real failure a possibility. They move forward against all odds. As a church, we face our own impossible task, the task of reaching the world of over 8 billion people with the gospel of Jesus. And within that number 8 billion, there's some alarming statistics. There are nearly 17,000 people groups within those 8 billion people. And over 7,000 of those groups are considered unreached and unengaged. And those are, those are technical terms that are used to identify certain people groups, but Within that group, there's over 3 billion people considered unreached and, and unengaged. And that simply just means that there's a good chance that people within those categories will go their entire lives without ever hearing the name of Jesus. 
There are no Bibles in those areas. There are no churches in those areas, and there are no missionaries. Over three billion people are unreached and, and unengaged. And yet this is the nature of the task that's been given to the church. It's a more daunting task than, than those of our favorite heroes and our favorite stories of fiction. It's beyond daunting. I asked you at the beginning, what would you do if you were faced with an impossible task? One that you felt ill-equipped to achieve. But I want to ask you another question. What if Frodo and Luke and Harry were somehow able to peer into the future and they were able to see, we succeed. We come out victorious. The task is complete. I imagine if they were given a glimpse into the future that they would have had a little bit more than just a fool's hope of completing their tasks. And I think that it would have given them supreme confidence that, that their task was not impossible, but not just possible, but certain. And the reality of it is, as remarkable as it is, is that we as the church, this is a reality for us as we consider our own task of reaching the world for Christ. We know the future, and the end is written, and our task succeeds. Just so you know where we're going this morning in our, in our sermon, this sermon is going to be a standalone sermon. So our regular diet here at Hagerstown Church is to work our way through a book of the Bible from start to finish, and we have been laboring through the book of Hebrews for over 40 Sundays. We have just a few more to go, and we'll be done with, with Hebrews uh, by God's grace. And it has been just amazing to work our way through that remarkable letter. But today, we're not going to be in Hebrews. We're going to be considering a single topic, and that topic is the mission that God has given his church to evangelize the nations. The mission that God has given to the church to evangelize the nations. God is a God of missions. We see this throughout the scriptures. He loves the nations, and, and we as his people want to love what he loves, right? And I believe that Hagerstown Church is a church that strives to love the nations, and I believe that we want to also continue to grow in that love. And if we're humble this morning, we would confess that we don't love the nations as we ought. We don't love the nations of the way that God loves the world. And so my hope is, is that as we consider this topic of, of this task of, of reaching the world for Christ, my prayer would be that God would give us a new passion, a renewed passion for his global plan of redemption. So I've said that that's my hope. That's also my prayer. And so let's pray for that right now. Father, we, we pray for this, that you would give us a new passion for your plan of redemption. Not just your plan for a, a redemption here in Hagerstown, but to the ends of the earth. Lord, we, we need you to do that work in us. And so would you fill this room with your spirit this morning? We pray these things in your name. Amen. As we begin, I want to first look at God. I think that this is always the most helpful thing to do when we consider any topic, and that is, how does God intersect with this topic? And so I want to first consider three characteristics of God's love for the nations. Three characteristics of God's love for the nations. And so hopefully the, the slides are going to be kind of lined up with me today. And so feel free to take notes as we go. 
But how does God show love to the nations? Number one, God's love is actionable. His love is actionable. God's love for the nations is not just a feeling. It's not just an an emotion that he has for the peoples of the earth. It's, It's a love that he actually acts upon. It compels him to do things. I thought it would be a good idea, since the kids are are going through the idea that God is triune, that we would consider the Trinitarian love of God for the nations. As we consider the Father, we remember that famous verse, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. We see that the Father's love for the world is not just a feeling but it is a, an action that he then does. He gives his only son. He sacrifices much for the, the love of the world. We see the son. We see that Jesus himself showed his love for the peoples of the earth when he laid his life down for the sheep. We think of, of John 10, where he says that he will not just lay his life down for the sheep of Israel, but for the sheep of another fold, He says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. This idea that Jesus must bring the nations to himself. That that word literally means it behooves Jesus to do this. Ironic given the nature of, of the sheep in this passage. But it behooves Jesus to do this. He has to do this. His love compels him to bring the nations to himself. Unless we forget the Spirit of God this morning, we see that the Holy Spirit himself shows love that is actionable. We think of the story of Peter and Cornelius. The scriptures say that while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And so we see that, that the love that the Godhead has for one another has, has overflowed in love for the nations. It is a love that is, that is actionable. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working together to love the nations. Secondly, we see that God's love is constant. God's love is is constant. It never ceases, it never ends. It's infinitely faithful. And the nations will never be separated from his love. Consider this wonderful passage from Isaiah 56. God's word says, let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord, to Yahweh, say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. How does God respond to that? He says, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God, who gathers the outcasts of Israel, declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. And so we see that the love of God for the nations is unceasing. 
It's constant. We know the famous verse from Romans 8, right? That none of us will be separated from the love of God in Christ Jesus. It's because God's love is never ending. And it does not cease. And so his love is, is both, uh, both uh, uh, actionable and constant. But we also see that God's love for the nation is hospitable. Hospitable. Last week, we looked at Hebrews 13, 1 through 6, and we considered this idea of philoxenia, this love for the stranger that we as Christians are, are called to have. And God is not calling us to do something that he himself has not modeled for us, especially in the person of Jesus. Consider these verses from Ephesians 2. Paul writes, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of God, the commonwealth of Israel, and and the strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Paul finishes in verse 19, worship as you hear this. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Do you see the hospitable nature of God's love for the nations? He pursues the stranger. He pursues the alien. And he not only brings them into the household of God, he brings them to his very table We see that the Trinitarian love of God for the nations is without question. It's actionable. It's constant. It's hospitable. And he calls the church, he calls us who have received his love, us as strangers and aliens, to then reciprocate that love to the nations. As we turn from, from looking at God this morning, it, it behooves us to, to look at ourselves to, to self-examine ourselves in light of who God is. And if we're being honest with ourselves, we need to confess that we don't love the nations as we ought. We don't love, God, we don't love the nations with a love that is perfectly actionable and constant and hospitable. We have imperfect love and far from perfect for sure. So as we look at our hearts, what keeps us from loving the nations as God? The scriptures call us to self-examine ourselves. And so let's do that now. What keeps us from loving the nations as God would? Number one, we're calloused to their condition. We're calloused to their condition. How do the scriptures describe the condition of the lost? What do the scriptures say? This is what they say. The unbeliever is under wrath, slave to sin, perishing, blind, dead in their sins, having no hope, without God, alienated, captured, deceived. That's the state of, of the unbelievers. It's the state of the nations, and somehow we have forgotten that. We've forgotten the condition that we ourselves were once in. Yes, it's true that, that the unbeliever is in active rebellion against God. 
That is true. But it doesn't make their condition any less pitiable. Consider Jesus himself. When he looked upon the crowds, it says that he had compassion on them. Jesus, who knew what was in the heart of man, he knew what was in the heart of man, he knew the rebellious nature, and yet he still looked on the crowds with pity and compassion because they were a flock without a shepherd. And so we fail to love the nations because we have become calloused and forgetful of their condition. Secondly, we we fail to love the nations as we ought because we fail to see our responsibility. We fail to see our responsibility. What do I mean by responsibility? I mean that the church is God's plan A for reaching the the nations. God's plan A for not only reaching the nations, but reaching these unreached people and these unengaged people. And there is no other plan, right? Consider the scriptures, Romans 10, Paul, he's mourning for the lostness of his own people. He's in, he's in agony. And he says this, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Do you, as the church, feel the weight of that calling, the weight of of the responsibility, the duty even? If the nations are to enter into the kingdom of heaven, they will do so because the church's feet got beautiful, right? They will do so because the church was obedient to the mission at hand. Now, don't, don't hear me wrong. God is not dependent on the church as if he needed the church, right? God is self-sufficient. He needs nothing. But he has purposed that he use the church to fulfill his mission. He's purposed that the church would go to the very ends of the earth to proclaim the truth of his son. And so no matter the hurdles, no matter the dangers, no matter the cost, we are God's plan A. And there is no plan B. We're the hope for the nations. Secondly, again, we fail to see our responsibility. How will they hear without a preacher? Third, we overemphasize God's sovereignty. And I want to be careful here as I consider this, this third and final point as to why we struggle to love the nations. But I think that we overemphasize God's sovereignty in this way. Before I get to that way, I do want to just, just reiterate that God is completely sovereign. That the scriptures are unapologetically confident that God rules and reigns. And we see that he, he elects the sinner, he draws the sinner, he calls the sinner, he regenerates the sinner, he justifies the sinner. And no one, when it's all said and done, is going to receive any glory for the repentance and faith of an unbeliever other than God. He will receive the glory. And yet, while this is true, if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we can start to overemphasize God's sovereignty to the point where it causes lethargy in us. It causes us to be lethargic. It causes slothfulness and maybe even causes indifference in our lives. 
we may end up wrongly applying the, the sovereignty of God or even seek to ease our inaction by it. We sing a song, Facing the Task Unfinished, and there's some lyrics in that song that say this, with none to heed their crying for life and love and light, unnumbered souls are dying and pass into the night. And this idea of overemphasizing God's sovereignty, if, if our first reaction to that, that line of unnumbered souls are dying and pass into the night, if our first reaction is, well, if they pass into the night, they, they just probably weren't elect, right? If that's our first reaction, then I think that we have a, a disproportionate view of, of God's sovereignty. And church, I can be guilty of this very thing. I can overemphasize God's sovereignty to the detriment of my own responsibility. And it's true that, that God in his grace has given the Son a people. We see that very clearly in John 6. And it's also true that the elect of God were written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. We see that in Revelation 13. And yet, if these truths lead to indifference or slothfulness or, or lethargy, then we're out of balance. Consider what Spurgeon said, someone who confidently preached and wrote on the sovereignty of God. He said, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions, and let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. Church, we can absolutely rest in the sovereignty of God. Amen? We can. And yet, rest does not mean inaction. Rest does not mean inaction. God, he absolutely rules over his creation, but instead of causing us to be indifferent because of that, it should cause us to labor hard, to labor hard to know that our labors are not in vain, that God is ruling and he is reigning, and he turns the hearts of man as he would. I think we can often need a little bit of theological re rebalancing per se. I know I can. And um, there's a helpful resource called the Evangel or Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God by J.I. Packer that I would certainly recommend. Uh, talking about this idea of God's sovereignty and human responsibility. How do they connect? And so we see that there really are three ways that I'm giving this morning that I think that we can fall short of God's love. Number one, we are callous. We forget the condition of the lost and then two and three kind of working together, we have failed to see our own responsibility, and we might, in fact, have overemphasized God's sovereignty. As we continue to go on this morning, I want to get a little bit practical and consider three ways in which we can love the nations. We, as a church, can say that we do love the nations, but we also want to grow in that area and so here are three ways that we can show active love and, and constant love and hospitable love to the world. First, we can pray. First, we can pray. There is perhaps no more important work that we can do as the people of God than pray for the nations, interceding on their behalf, trusting in the blood of Christ, 
that the Father would hear our prayers for the world. You may be asking, what are some specific ways that, that I can pray for the nations? Mark Collins, he's a missionary and a pastor in East Asia, and he wrote a little book, How Can I Support International Missions? And he offers four intentional ways in which we can pray as the people of God, and they're pulled directly from the scriptures. Number one, he says that we can pray that God would open doors of gospel ministry to the unreached. Paul writes in Colossians 4, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. So we can pray that God would open doors even in the greatest darkness. Secondly, as a church, we can pray for missionaries to present the gospel boldly and clearly. Boldly and clearly. Clearly. Paul writes again in Ephesians 6, Pray also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Third, we can pray for missionaries specifically to endure hardship in the field. Paul tells Timothy, his protege, that you therefore must Endure hardship as a good soldier of Christ. Share in suffering as a soldier of Christ. The reality of it is, is that if a missionary on the field, especially in a dark, dark, dark field, is going to endure much hardship, much suffering. The powers of darkness would fight beyond measure to push back the work of light that is being done in these areas. And so much suffering and hardship will come. And so would you pray that our missionaries would endure and they would, they would become stronger because of it? Finally, Mark Collins says that, that we can pray for this. And this one may sound a bit counterintuitive, but we can pray that God would bless our church, that God would bless our church. And now where am I going with this? Well, Psalm 67 says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Why? That your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. And so you, as a member of Hagerstown Church, can pray that God would bless Hagerstown Church, that we would grow in our ability to reach the nations. And I, and I, I believe that God will do just that if we ask. So these are four ways that a missionary and a pastor on the field would would call the church at large to pray for. But how else can we be intentional in this, this act of prayer? Well, I think that we can consider to pray systematically for, for the countries of the world. Uh, some of you are familiar with, with this resource, Pray for the World. It's a resource that's put out by Operation World. And in it, there is not just geographical and geopolitical and demographic information about each country, but it's also full of information about the spiritual condition of the country and the people groups within every country in the world. This is a great resource that I've used many times in the past. It truly is a, a treasure trove of, of, of information. One interesting, interesting thing in the back is there's actually a prayer calendar where you can pray through the entire world in a year. You can look at through this, find the information, and pray as God leads you for the nations. Rachel and I have committed to use this resource to pray the remainder of this year, and on January 1st to start 
using this prayer calendar. And I'd love to ask you all to commit to doing just that. I'll make it a little easier on you. I've got a couple of copies right here. I'll put them here. We like to give away books at Hagerstown Church. So if you want to grab these, uh, make sure you grab, get one after the service. Just don't trample someone to get it. Okay? Pray for the world. It's a, just an amazing resource that uh, really is helpful uh, to get our head out of our, out of our own selves and even out of our own uh, little bubble and to consider the kingdom at large. Another way you can pray is you can pray specifically for the missionaries that Hagerstown Church partners with and supports. And I know that many of you are already doing that on a regular basis. Prayer is one of those ways that we as a people can hold the rope, per se, and, and uh, hold the rope for those who are in the field. There's a couple ways that you can pray for our missionaries or a couple ways that, that we try to facilitate that. Uh, you'll notice in our loop that we have a missionary spotlight that's in there every single week. We have all of our missionaries on a rotation, and you'll see that we are praying for our missionaries in Southeast Asia right now. Many of our missionaries are, are in dangerous areas, and so we don't typically put their names in any kind of publications, um, but you can still pray for them nonetheless because God knows who they are. You can also go onto our, our, our website, and I'll get more into that in a minute, but our website has a list of, of the missionaries that, that we as a church partner with. You can also sign up for their updates. Many of them send out regular updates to the people that are partnering with them, so you can pray even more specifically for the needs they have as they serve God in, in the field. If you have questions about the missionaries that we partner with, or you want to know how I can sign up for maybe these, these email updates, feel free to see me or one of the other pastors. Uh, we'd love to get you signed up, and I know that our missionaries would love to get you signed up so that, that you can uh, bear their burden with them and hold the rope for them. So we can pray. Again, prayer is perhaps the most important work that we will do for the sake of the nations. But two, we can also give. We can give. We can love the nations by giving financially. For 2,000 years, Christians have taken their resources and they've leveraged them for the spread of the gospel. And Jesus called us to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven, right? Not treasures on earth. Not to, in a sense, hoard our resources in the proverbial barns that we build, but to leverage them for the kingdom. And for over a millennia, the church has seen giving to the nations as one way to testify that we don't love money, that we're willing to give it away for the sake of something eternal. The Philippian church is just one example from the scriptures of a people who did not love money and saw the need for giving. Paul, as he's in prison, writes to the church, he says, it was kind of you to share my trouble, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Thessalonica was a very dangerous place that Paul was in. And the Philippian church supported him even then. He says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. The church has always leveraged its resources for the building 
of God's kingdom and love for the nations. What are some ways that you can leverage your resources this morning? One way is you can give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. It's an offering that we take up every December during the time of Advent. This offering specifically supports the International Mission Board. It's the the missions arm of the the Southern Baptist Convention, Convention. We have missionaries who are serving through the IMB who are direct recipients of the monies that are gathered in this Lottie Moon Christmas offering. So would you consider as we approach Christmas very quickly, I'm not sure how that happened, but we are approaching Christmas soon, and would you consider how, how you or your family could use your resources, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, and love the nations through your checkbook? You can also partner with our missionaries directly that we support you know, through organizations like, again, the IMB or ABWE or OMF. We have missionaries that many of us have sent personally in the past years, and on our website specifically, we have links to every single one of their giving pages. Again, many of them are anonymous because they serve in dangerous locations, and yet we can still give to them financially and sacrificially. We can also sponsor a child through Christian organizations like Compassion International. And we can also give to our local church. Would it be that giving to our local church might be really at the top of that list? Imagine if we pulled our resources together, how much more we could actually do for for the kingdom. These are just some ways in which we can give financially to, to the work of reaching the world with the gospel. Jim Elliott said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He's no fool. Can we keep money? We can't. Jim says, you're not a fool if you give it away because you can't keep it. You're going to receive something eternal in return. And so what will you give for the eternal joy of the nations? And so as a church, we can pray, we can give, and finally, we can go. Pray, give, go. In Matthew 9, Jesus says, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Is God calling you to go? to the nations. Another question, are you willing to allow God to have his way in your life? Are you willing to put that yes on the table in a sense be like Isaiah, here I am, send me if you desire. Are we willing to put ourselves in that position? Again, how will people hear the good news without a preacher? And we're not talking about what I'm doing right now. We're talking about heralding the good news, what every single one of us is called to do, to preach the good news of the gospel to all nations. What if you put your yes on the table and in a posture of submission said, God, use me however you will, wherever you will, for how long you will? I gave you some statistics at the beginning Uh, with unreached people groups and the the state of missions in the world. Here's some more as we consider this this idea of going. 
There are approximately 400,000 Christian missionaries worldwide. 400,000. And so that means that if you look at the total amount of Christians in the world, that there are about, there's a, about one in every 1,800 Christians are cross-cultural missionaries. One out of eight, every 1,800. Another statistic, the only 3% of the church's missionary force is going to unreached and unengaged people. Only 3%. And only 1% of mission giving is going to these folks, the over 3 billion who have never heard the name of Jesus. I want to give you one other statistic, and this one might hurt a bit. It hurt me when I, when I came across it and, and researched it. The Mormon church, you didn't think I was going to go there, but the Mormon church boasts over 16 million members worldwide. Now, the Southern Baptist Convention, of, of which we are a part, boasts about 14 and a half million, right? And that, that number is not really the number that is concerning. We're just one convention of one denomination, right? But he, this is what's concerning. As a convention of churches, we only filled 5% of the number of missionaries that the LDS church does. Only 5%. You could say that Satan himself is fielding more missionaries than we are to the ends of the earth. Ouch. You know, as we, as we come to statistics like these, we should feel a bit of, of weight. And they're a bit alarming, are they not? But we can also do something about that. And so is God calling you to, to step out in faith to the nations, to lay aside everything for something of great significance? The father of modern missions, William Carey, who in many ways really was able to reawaken the country of England from its kind of spiritual stupor in the area of missions, William Carey said this, our Lord Jesus Christ, a little before his departure, commissioned his apostles to go and teach all nations, or, as another evangelist expresses it, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. This commission was as extensive as possible and laid them under obligation to disperse themselves into every country of the habitable globe and preach to all the inhabitants without exception or limitation. They accordingly went forth in obedience to the command and the power of God evidently worked with them. It's God calling members of this church, this, this local body that, that assembles regularly on Sunday morning, members of Hagerstown Church, is he calling us to disperse ourselves into the habitable globe for the, the sake of the nations? Being a sending church hurts. Does it not? To send out family and friends that we may never see again or certainly not have the relationship with that we did before. But Hagerstown Church was planted to be a sending church. That was why we were planted. Not to continue just growing our, our brand and our model here, but to send out our people as much as it hurts. Because God, because God has called us 
to love the nations. Would it be that, that God is calling us to consider more ascending capacity than a seating capacity? How much do we need? How many people do we need to send out here? How many people do we need to send out there? What would it take to go to this country with a team? What is God calling Hagerstown Church to do? I pray that you would put your yes on the table this morning and wait for the Spirit of God to move in your life. We've considered global missions from a few different angles this morning. We've considered God's love for the nations. We've self-examined ourselves to see why our love falls short, and, and we've considered how we can manifest our love for the nations. And there's no way, absolutely, that I'm ever going to completely cover everything that has to do with this topic of missions. There are entire conferences about missions, and still they do not cover every topic. And so in one sermon, I'm only going to touch the surface. And so it behooves us all to continue to, to grow in our knowledge and our understanding of missions and to grow in our love and grow in our practice long after this sermon is forgotten in the future. And as we begin our descent from 30,000 feet and we, we prepare to land, I want you to remember what I said in the beginning. What I said in the beginning, that the task that we face is really an, an impossible one. It's more daunting than the greatest quests of our fantasy epics. But with God, all things are possible. And not just possible, but in the case of this task, certain. And this is not my word that I want you to take this morning, but this is God's word. This is the task completed. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. The nations, every tongue, every tribe, will walk in the light of God, in the city of God, for all eternity. And so while our task is unfinished, and our task is daunting, our task is not uncertain. Amen.